This podcast is a love letter to every small business owner in Africa that dreams of growing big, every African executive that wants to get ahead, and every leader that wants more impact. I'm Tembi Kumalo, your host and the founder of Brand Builder Africa. We'll talk about everything to do with growing your business by building your brand. Did you know that some of the best performing businesses in the world are family businesses? Walmart, Volkswagen, and so many more. Yet, when many of us think about the idea of a family business, we first think about family feuds, leadership squabbles, and the drama that follows death or divorce, instead of thinking about profit, legacy, and security. As a passionate entrepreneur and leader in a family, Tsitsim Tendi's interests span across numerous industries, including fashion, media, and education. She's a mom of three children who've given her so much motivation to leave an impactful legacy. And that's why she became a certified family business advisor and family wealth advisor through the Global Family Business Education Network. In this conversation, we're going to talk about what it means to run a family business in Africa and why it's so important to understand family governance. Enjoy. Hey, Titsi, I am so excited to be talking to you today. How are you? I am good, Tempe. How are you? I'm so good. I cannot tell you how important mm-hmm. it has been for me to have you on the podcast because of the work you are doing um, in Africa for African businesses and specifically for African families. Because I think the space that you are playing is, is so important and, and no one has addressed it the way you are doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and to share some of the learnings that I I have picked up in this journey. Yeah. So before I go any further, the the brand Tsitsim Tendi is a big brand. Um, it It has traveled to all sorts of places and done some really amazing, but always innovative, creative things from Jewel Magazine to Mufaro Toys to the list is endless publishing, um, Montessori schools and, and so on and so on. You're a person who every time I've encountered you, first of all, there is the energy. <laughs> Secondly, there are the ideas, like the ideas just don't stop. And second, and uh-huh. thirdly, is the, the impetus to actually implement, which is the point at which a lot of people kind of stop. How did you become this mm. way? Well, you know what? There's a lot of learnings that I have um, accumulated while I've, I've been doing my recent work. And I've, I've come to realize who I am and how I've gotten to where I am. And one of the strongest things is that I have grown from a space of trauma 
And I have changed that trauma into a powerful experience to empower other people. And so I say this because my foray into publishing started after I'd lost a child. And I was motivated to create a space for women where we could tell their stories and share in their glories and just be hold the space for women and celebrate them. And it grew into something bigger. It grew into a space where we started telling African stories uh, from Africa, which is such an important, important thing right now because for the longest time as Africans, we have oral tradition and we are not documenting our experiences, which is going to be important for um, the next gens and the generations after that. My foray into Montessori schooling was because I wanted more for my children. And I had, at, at that point in time, I had not come across this quote, which I now live by, which is, if you're not at the table, you are on the menu. Ooh. And I didn't want I my I never children. heard that, girl. <laughs> Yes, if you're not at the table, you are on the menu. Wow. And for me, I did not want my children to be on the menu. There's so many spaces where they discuss Africa and the problems Africa have, but then we need African children to create the spaces and the tables or sit at the tables where they're bringing solutions because they are unique to this continent. They are a generation born on this continent. They understand the problems and only they can come up with the solutions. So I didn't want my children to be on the menu. I wanted them to be at the table. Mm, I love that. I love that. And then my work in family business space mm. started after the loss of my dad. And I started looking around me and realizing, but hold on a minute. I come from, I'm a third generation family business owner. My grandparents from both sides of my family were family business owners. They, mm. they had their amassed wealth. And then my parents were family business owners and I'm a family business owner. And the distinct difference is that although I'm a third generation family business owner, I'm, I come from an enterprising line, but I am, do not come from families that have built their worth to become multi-generational. Mm. Why is it with every generation you have a new bus company? I mean, we're never going to mm. fix the roads if every generation has to start from scratch. We're never going to be able to address the transport situation on the continent if every generation has to start their own airline, their own bus company, their own haulage truck company. I mean, we're not passing on that generational wealth, which is knowledge-based, not just the money, the knowledge, the experience, mm -hmm. and the feeding into industries and building. Right. And so when my dad died, I was like, I wanted to to honor his legacy i wanted to honor the fact that he was one of the first black dermatologists in my in my country and most people probably don't even know that and when he died he passed on with his knowledge he passed on with his name and i was like as a child i'd like to honor that and it got me thinking into looking at my own legacy and thinking are my children going to feel this way and have nothing to honor and have to start building on what they know or am i going to start working with them now to start creating that generational wealth that starts with them mm. and moving it forward and so that's how i i started on this journey where i'm investing 
on the families on the continent who are going to drive the economic future of Africa, as well as investing in the young minds who are going to be innovators, who are going to create tables where people are going to beg to sit at. Wow, that's a great vision. What I love about what you do is that you're always building solutions from situations that you yourself have been in. And I think that mm. makes for a very authentic outcome. Mm. If mm. I think of mm. brands like Spanx, for instance, that have come out of somebody trying to solve her own personal problem and then uh, you know, generating a business out of it. I think that those brands yes. have, have really good um, survival and even efficacy is, is high. So now you are sitting here with African Family Firms, which is a not-for-profit kind of membership-based um, opportunity that people can join. You're also sitting with NACA, which is your consulting firm. Tell me about these two very similar, well, these two businesses that are in a similar space. Um, and what your intention is for them and what problem they solve for us. Right. So, like I said, the journey into this space was triggered by, by my, the loss of my dad. And looking at it, um, I went into the space wanting to find out what could I do for myself and my legacy to allow it to just not die with me. Because even in our linguistic languages on the African continent, we always speak about um, how somebody dies with their wealth. Or when we speak of inheritance, we don't speak about it as um, something we're custodians of. We speak about it in a way where we're talking about spending it or eating it for direct translation <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so it's a shift in mind frame for me when I went into the space I realized for Africa to become the next giant our conversations have to shift from just talking about politics to talking about economy and when we talk about economy we have to look at who is driving the economy and so there's many conversations around entrepreneurship and how it's Africa needs to be more entrepreneurial and how it's going to build the next industries and everything in between. But the real conversation is not around the, the foundation of entrepreneurship. The foundation of entrepreneurship is usually an individual or a family that decides, let us provide a good or a service to our community and profit from that and build ourselves financial wealth from that. Mm. And so when we look at that, we realize that most of the global businesses are family-owned businesses. If you look at the statistics of family-owned businesses, you realize just how much of an impact they make on the global GDP, which is above 85% of global GDP is family-owned business contributed. Wow, I and did not know that. We employ a lot more than governments. We provide a lot more than just GDP. We're the ones who are in philanthropy. We're the ones who are changing the conversations within our communities. And so looking at that, I thought, how do we get it to be multi-generational? Because 
we're failing at some point. Only 2% of African family businesses transition from founder to next gen, whereas in globally, 30% of family businesses transition from founder to next gen. And I was like, why are we failing? How are we failing? And that's when I stumbled upon the rabbit hole that is family governance. Mm. And, and I was like, okay. What does family, family governance mean? Yeah. So look at it this way. When we build our businesses, we, we are so invested in wanting to make this idea work and wanting to make this successful mm. that we put everything in it. We throw everything we can at it. Mm. And we're raising our families and we, we, we're living our lives. And in the interaction of our business, sometimes we're employing relatives, sometimes we're employing friends, we, but we're pushing towards the success of this business. Mm. And this business then becomes extremely successful. And I've managed to send my children to amazing schools. I've managed to provide for my family. And now I'm at that point as a founder where I have to think succession. Right. The conversation around succession, especially in the African context is, are we comfortable enough to have our children take the steering wheel when they get their driver's license? Mm -hmm. Most times we're thinking of our children as that small little person you held in your arms and you still feel that uh, need to have that break on your side, on the passenger's side, <laughs> to make sure they don't crash us into anything. And so succession is, is, is not an event, it's a journey. Mm. And with African family businesses, we tend to then feel like we cannot, we cannot allow our younger generation to take over because they're still too young. So we why, use what we, why is mm -hmm. that, Titi? Why is why are let's say for argument's sake, white Western mm -hmm. families better and more easily able to trust their children than we are to trust ours? Like. Where does that difference come from? The thing is, it's not, not based on that. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll address that issue uh, as well. Mm. So when you're thinking of Africa, right? Mm -hmm. You're thinking of yourself now as you are an African now. Mm. You're forgetting that we come from a psychological background, which is traumatic. We went through slavery, we went through colonialism, and then we went through a, a period where we had to understand what it is like to be Black people in power. Mm -hmm. And because of all these traumas, we were once treated as animals who stayed in keeps. Our thought process when we think is investing is keeping money and, and, and saving it, not investing because we're afraid to lose money. As Africans, our perspective of the world is very different from people who have never been through slavery, who have never been through colonialism, who have never been kept in keeps and never been treated as animals. We are still coming from that background where we never had the opportunity to plan for future because you had no control over your future. You were either being bought, you were being sold, or you were being moved to where other people thought you needed to be. Now you are taking that opportunity and being told you can be an entrepreneur and you're building businesses and you haven't got the basic understanding of next generation because it's always been about I do things for me and then I die with it. 
Hmm. And so there is our psyche needs to change. Our psyche needs to understand that we are no longer just living for our lives now, but we're preparing for our grandchildren and our great grandchildren. We have to get into a psychological space where we know that there is a future. Why is different from our white counterparts and our Western counterparts? Well, because they could always plan for future. They always had that opportunity to plan for great grandchildren. They always saw a future. They always saw when they were building that it's going to pass on. When did we start believing that? Mm. When did that conversation happen for us? Has it happened for us? Important questions there, really important questions. How does family governance differ from corporate governance? And when you say family governance, are you talking about a structure inside a, a regular family? Um, what, does it, what does it look like? So when you're looking at family governance, family governance is basically how we as a family operate how we deal with issues and what is our plan. So we look at our shared history. Where do we come from? Who are these people we say our ancestors? Who are these people who we say are our, our lineage? What, who are these people who built the businesses for us? And what are the values that got them to where they are? Was it tenacity? Was it... Um, strength in, in mind, strategy, what is it? What are the values that we have as a family that we take from the previous generations between us? What are the stories that we believe about our family that hold true to us that we can share as bedtime stories to our children to embed that culture? Because mm. when we're looking at a family, we're looking at it in the same way you look at it as a country. It's a, it, it is a collection of people, a clan, a group of people who have the same background, who are aligned to the same um, symbols, the same stories, the same cultures. And we're saying we have a shared history, which is our past. We acknowledge it, we share it with our next gen so that they remember where we're coming from and what brings us together. Then we that, look at our- mm -hmm. That sounds amazing. But when we create so a cool, family, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. when we create a family, we're creating it from two other families. Wait, girl, I'm still on it. I'm okay. Still on it. Okay. I'm gonna I'm so, gonna be patient here. <laughs> with the two other families, you must understand continuously as a family grows, we need to go back to shared history. Shared history means that we're taking those things from the people. It could be from your mother's side, your father's side from the, the people who are joining us, that means a lot to us, that we align to, which, which are the values? Because the present is our shared values. What are the things that we are looking at as together, as combined families, as diverse families, as, mm. as a family? What is it that, what are these values that we say, these are our values? We do not negotiate when it comes to these things. These are the things we uphold as a family that we align to and that we look for. Most mm. people have never had these discussions in our families. That's so true. We've never had a discussion That's at so all true. about what are our values. And then uh, when we've I, identified... Mm -hmm. I actually think that this conversation needs to be part of the whole family governance conversation should be part of premarital counseling. 
Wait for it. Okay. Okay. The third part, <laughs> the third part of family governance is what is our shared vision. Mm. So when we look at our shared vision, consider your family to be a football team and you are put out into the field to play a good game and, and, and win. And in, in that game, you must know that shared vision is everything to a family. Mm. Shared vision allows you to allocate your processes and make them correct, to allocate your people, identify who, who, who plays in, the, in, 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 in which position on the field and does it well. Mm. And then also understand your product, that your wealth is the one thing that you collectively share as a family and as the whole team you have to make sure you protect that wealth and grow that wealth you are stewards of wealth you are not inheritors but you are stewards your 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 job is to make sure is when you inherit it you then make sure that you give back to the next generation more than what you got in the first place because you're mm. you're stewards mm. of the name of the values of the history and so with your football team on the ground family governance is now the discussion around how do we handle the people in our family what how do we handle conflict what are expectations and who's allowed to work for the company who is not allowed if we join the company what qualifications do we have mm. understanding ownership understanding that i i may own mutendi montessori i may own naga legacy it doesn't mean my children want to go into the same business correct but at the same time it does not absolve them of ownership they have to understand what it is that they are they're going to own so they understand what between being a shareholder and being mm -hmm. in the office exactly. on the team. Okay, got it. Exactly. And understanding that when you are a shareholder, you're an owner, what does that entail? You have to understand the business anyway. Yeah. And if you decide you want to be employed by the business, you have to start at a certain level. And we have to create an educational pathway that allows you to join the business at a competent level that you do not chase away the skilled HR that may join the company and can take your wealth higher. Mm. Really important, so, really important yes. things there. Because we're so used to the um, kind of spoiled brat stereotype where the child grows up knowing my dad's going to leave me the buses or the store or whatever it is and I'm just going to take over and before you know it everything has been squandered yes the thing is it's because they've never been that transition mm -hmm. I think you you would understand so yeah yeah so when you have that football team on the on the pitch you must know that that when you have a shared vision everyone knows that we're going to score in that direction we're going to pass the balls to these people and they're key in the game yeah. to make sure we score mm -hmm. it when this when the team is working together they have they they've had the same training the same resources they believe in the same mission mm. you will find that you won't score on goals you won't get red cards you won't be sent off the pitch and you won't just completely lose the game because you know what you're doing 
family governance is that distinction that allows a family to then be able to speak to their corporate board and instruct them based on their value system, on their belief system, and the vision and the goals of the family, how to act in the business. Wow. And it's choosing the right family representative to sit on the board or choosing the right family members who are willing and able to work for the company, to join the company and know their place that they cannot influence the board unless they sit on the board. They can report back to the family, but they all have to be aligned with who it is you are, what role it is that you are playing and what is the product. So people, product, process. You need to know who's playing what, when and why. So when you then deal with corporate governance, you won't have those big issues of nepotism. You won't have those big mm. issues of um, the, the board acting incorrectly because you have people with vested interests was sitting there ensuring as shareholders or as employees that our product, which is the wealth of the family, depends on the success of this entity. Mm, mm. I love everything about this. What I, I wanna mm. take you back to my earlier question where mm. I brought up the issue of a family being created from two families. Um, mm. and, and, and I get that we take the best of of both of those and we build onto it. But in terms of the, the structures um, and, and right now we're in a space where we really want to protect and empower and equip our girls. When you bring a man and a woman together um, mm -hmm. in a, into a family, how does mm -hmm. family governance then deal with what the woman brings in terms of not just her values and her history and her vision, but her, her, her tangible wealth and also mm -hmm. her um, intellectual capital? Mm -hmm. So the complexity of um, family governance is that it's, it's like a family constitution that's created is like a national constitution where mm. every couple of years you have to review it. Mm. You have to review the things that applied and the things that didn't apply and um, the new experiences the family have that they would like to add on into their traditions, into their value system, into their conversations. And so when two people get married, like you said, it could be a case of the the woman being from the family of vast wealth mm. or and and uh, the man coming into that situation or vice versa mm. what's or really important, i mean they may mm -hmm. both bring wealth absolutely what's really important is sitting down and having conversations around how do we handle wealth how do we handle um in in your in your family what what do you recognize as should we have a post-nuptial, a prenuptial, or should we separate our, our, our wealth completely? How does that apply when it comes to shareholding for our children? And so family governance is 
itself is the process of sitting down and communicating and navigating these conversations because Mm -hmm. these are conversations people usually shy away from and say it'll Mm -hmm. fix itself Mm -hmm. it doesn't fix Mm -hmm. itself it doesn't figure itself out you have to sit down and say this is what's on the table there has been a change there's been a transition there is wealth being brought in or there's wealth that is going out how do we handle it Mm -hmm. and I think when you look at the bigger families that then set up things, entities like family office, it's at a point where the wealth is vast enough that they, the family has a dedicated office mm. that is meant to manage the wealth, but it doesn't absolve the family from doing family governance because the family has to be communicating with each other and has to be working as a team to be able to instruct the office on how to handle such sensitive issues. Sure. Do you think that um, African families are ready for that level of candid conversation? Um, I get the feeling, certainly as I as I as I grew up in an African family and coming out of an African community, that mm-hmm. there's a lot of secrecy, um, even just about wealth. Like, how much wealth do we have? A lot of children come into adulthood unaware of what their parents own or what mm-hmm. they they themselves potentially will own um mm-hmm. and and that it's it's almost considered disrespectful <laughs> to talk about wealth and who has what are we ready for that change the thing is if we don't start engaging ourselves in these conversations we're always going to feel like we are caught on the other foot that we um, are, we are not mature enough, we are not experienced enough, we're going to look for solutions from other people. Um, I think we once had a unique conversation when we spoke about polygamy, and it was based on the fact that it has it had its nuances, it worked because of its nuances. Mm. It worked in, in, in the context of what was going on there and what was needed for the family to survive. Mm. And for the longest time as Africans, we have borrowed a lot of cultural things, a lot of conversations, a lot of, of, of workings from our Western counterparts because we've always been, we were taught that they were superior to us. Even when we look for education, we want to get our education from them because we are taught that they're superior to us. When the reality is if we sat down and really looked at where we have come from, as a continent, we look at the vast empires that have uh, been prolific on the continent and how successful they were, we realize that we have been capable, we have been capable to amass wealth, we've been uh, capable to pass it on generationally, we have been capable of a lot of things, but we've lost that capability because for, for so many years we're told we are not able to. Mm. And we began to what we absolutely we began to abdicate and even if you see the conversation around women which I find very intriguing we are we have this belief system on the continent that patriarchy is is everything 
funny enough, when you look at the history of the African continent, patriarchy was brought by colonialism. Mm. It was brought by um, the Arab traders that were coming in and trading with us on the East Coast and on the West Coast. It was brought in by Christian missionaries. It was Mm. brought in by a a Western mind frame where men were superior to women. Mm. If you come onto the continent and you research our history from across time, tribes and so forth, you find that the woman had a very unique and special place. They still are the business owners, the business pioneers. Mm. They are, you cannot have a king on the African continent without a a female counterpart. Shaka had his mother, Nandi. Um, Currently, even if you look at at Eswatini, um, the the king cannot be dominant uh, and and a sole ruler without Inlofukazi, which is his mother. If you look at so many, uh, even with what happened in the Zulu kingdom, when we lost the late king, Mm. his proxy was the queen. So you re- women are the center of all conversations on the continent because we truly know that women are leaders. Yeah. And conversations around money have been difficult because we, we were of a communal setup. Our wealth was never in monetary as much as it was in um, how rich we were in terms of cattle mm. and pr- property and so forth. Mm. But when it was all taken away from us, we were left with money. That's So our wealth was never in money. It was always in, in property. It was in, in cattle. It was in um, more of what are the tangible things that we brought to the conversation. And when colonialism came, everything had to be quantified in man- money. And we had to shift our minds into the space where everything is valued in money, in coin. And it's something that we still struggle with because even as we are in this space where we are trying to, to, one moment we're told to save, the next moment we're told to invest, we're trying to figure this out. And as family businesses, a lot of our family businesses are first-time entrepreneurs. They were never ready for succession. They never had that discussion. They didn't know that it's not a discussion that starts at the end of building your business. It starts at mm. the beginning when you start looking at, at your family and saying, which one of my children is most likely to want to join the family business? And as they grow, see who engages more, see who wants to participate more and nurture that person as a possible successor or have that person be ready to become a possible successor even as as a family head. Mm. We are still much trapped in in, in a system where we've adopted uh, our belief system, we've adopted our way of living and all of a sudden we now have to create our own reality and have difficult conversations that we've never had. I mean, we all know as Africans that any conversation that borderlines people feeling something is, <laughs> is shut down for another day. Oh dear. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose we, as the current generation have to be deliberate about having those uncomfortable conversations so that we make it commonplace. The same way that um, HIV forced us to start having candid conversations about sex, you know. Mm, mm. It's, what can I say? Our fear is mostly based on 
we are not ready. We're not ready to face our own mortality. We're not ready to face the conversations we have no answers to. Mm. We are mm. held back in that fear of if we open up ourselves, will this not expose us to negatives? And will this not make us vulnerable? But I think in the last few years, one of the biggest changes that has happened in the world is that we have realized that mental health is a real thing and that we are vulnerable even if we choose not to be because pretending that you're strong, forcing yourself to be strong is all negative energy that then manifests in our physically being ill. And although our families continue, I mean, we continue being a family, we continue um, being a collection of people who share the same totem, the, sh the same name and the same origin. But when we don't discuss the good and the bad and the ugly and the awesome, we don't really get to a point where we say, how can we work together? How can we make this work for us? And how can we as a group take every strength we have and push it towards us becoming financially independent, for us becoming able to, to have stronger ties as a family and to be able to face those difficult situations and look back and say, right, this was a difficult situation, but we navigated it together. You can't avoid sibling rivalry. You can't avoid conflict. Mm -hmm. You can't avoid expectations. But when you speak about it, you, you're one step towards healing, you're one step towards overcoming, you're one step towards reconciliation. Yeah, and I think you also diffuse some of its power to disrupt. Absolutely, and sometimes, you know what, a lot of our conflict comes from assumption, and the word assumption itself, when you assume something, you make an ass out of you and me. Right. What happens in situations where family members have ideological differences? So let's say, for instance, we have uh, brothers who one believes very strongly in a particular religion. So let's say he's mm -hmm. Catholic. Um, mm -hmm another brother is not so keen um, uh -huh. and and those beliefs then affect other issues down the line education marriage divorce etc etc how right. how does family the, governance uh -huh. help in in situations like that um family governance how, firstly is communication mm -hmm we can be different yet work towards the same cause for example usually when we when you implement family governance is because you have a shared asset you have a shared thing you want to protect and it's usually family wealth it could be your family business it could be money that's been passed on or shareholding that's been passed on right mm. and yes you will have differences you may feel differently and say um I would rather this happen and someone will say, I'd rather this happen. The discussion is when we sit down 
how do since we think differently on this what is the best way forward does one want to sell their shares and cash out and say you know what i want nothing to do with this it's got this is something I'm not of interest in. It goes against certain belief systems and thought processes. I just, I'm checking out. Mm. It doesn't make them less of a family member. It just means in that particular conversation, they no longer want to be part of it in terms of having an investment there or being part of the decisions on that investment. It doesn't mean that they are less involved in the discussions that impact the family or what is happening within the family or being able to, to share their experiences that they as they're going through lives. It just means in this particular space, they do not want to be involved in. And that's the one thing we struggle with as human beings. We struggle with someone saying, I don't want this because you assume they want to be part of it or you want to force them to be part of it or you say it's important for you to be part of it because it's your father's or mm. your mother's or your, your no that person who has got an opposing opinion to you has the right to stick to their opinion and you also have the right to stick to your opinion what you have to agree on is how do you then navigate the separation in terms of managing this, in terms of investing in this, or in terms of this person may still want to say, you know, I'm, I will still remain a shareholder, but I do not want to be, be involved in the everyday running to this. Mm. I will get my dividend at the end of, I'm happy with you running it because you do it well. Therefore, I'm stepping away from this. Family governance is the space where you have these conversations. And as you see, consistently, I keep saying with family governance is the space where we have all these conversations. It's communication, it's speaking mm. to each other. It's also a space where you have to use empathy. Empathy is important because it's different from sympathy. Sympathy is when you feel sorry for somebody. Empathy is when you look at the situation from somebody else's viewpoint Mm -hmm. And you try to understand what could be driving this behavior um, and also the rhetoric they might be saying. And like you said, families intermarry. They could be push and pull from extended family that is not the family that this person grew up with. They could be push and pull from spouses. They could mm -hmm. be push and pull from even children. Family governance is a space where we say, let us speak to each other. This is the space where we all speak to each other. Even when it's difficult speaking, let's speak to each other. If we then feel like we need to engage a professional person, like a mediator, a consultant, there's so many people who are in this space who are helping families navigate family governance because it is not an event. Mm. It is a whole journey. You're not going to get family governance done in one sitting because life happens. A lot of things happen in between. And each time something happens, you have to navigate it. Right. And, and the people that help families to navigate would be people like you, right? Yes. Family governance advisors, as well as when with, with family governance advisors, you also then realize they're individuals that work with us. Um, in some families, you find there's different issues like addictions. You find there's um, different issues like mental health. There's different issues 
psychological, mental, physical illnesses. Um, we go through a broad spectrum of of tools that we use to help families. One of them, um, a genogram, where we map families from three generations back and map significant active effect, significant factors that happened in their lives that made them change course or do something that affected or impacted the family. And we also then see behavioral traits that may need assistance in. So. We are there to help the families navigate the situation. And if there's needs of engaging other parties that have got more experience in a certain space, engaging them at the end goal is to make sure that the family keeps it together. Sounds good. Sounds really, really good. So the people who are listening to our podcast generally are young people. They are executives, they're entrepreneurs. In other words, they're starting things. They're starting things in business. They're starting things in life. Um, mm -hmm. They probably haven't been married for more than five or 10 years. What are mm -hmm. three pieces of advice that you can give to our listeners to help them uh, set up for success as family businesses and as families? Right. My first piece of advice is that fail, fail all the time. And as much as you fail, get back up. Because nobody ever won the first try. And if they did, we applaud them. But we've all failed. So when things get hard and you feel that this is almost impossible, keep on getting up, rise to the occasion. It's, it's just important for you to, to be in that space, even if you have failed, because your failure is going to give you more wisdom. Secondly, as an entrepreneur, have a succession plan. So when I say have a succession plan, I mean, from the day on the word go, think about what the future of your business can and cannot be, or what you would want it to be and then start planning around a space where you will no longer be the head of that family business. And look at what skills do you need to nurture? What talents do you need to bring in? And start planning for a space where this wealth vehicle has continuity because you're not just investing in your family's financial future. You're actually investing in a, in a community of people who believe in your products and services mm -hmm. and who will still need them. So if you take away that one thing that was changing the world, the world would be a lot less without you in it and without your company in it. So start planning for a future where you grow bigger and where you have other people handling it and taking it into the future. Mm. And then thirdly, and I know a lot of people are not going to like this, <laughs> but when we look at ourselves and we think, right, I, I'm, I'm creating this wealth and I'm going to spend it and I'm going to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you may not even enjoy your wealth as much as your great-grandchildren. Think of the fact that you are not preparing your, you're not, what you're building is not for your benefit, but for the benefit of your grandchildren. It is two generations and you are not prepared, you're not preparing for your children, but for your grandchildren, and you may not even be there to enjoy it. 
So don't give up because of that, but be more motivated because of that, because you're making such a big difference by the fact that you are working towards something. And what will you enjoy? You will enjoy the fact that when you get rewarded, whether it's the profits coming in, whether it's the success stories coming in, you have made a difference. The world celebrates those innovators. The world celebrates the people who've made a difference, but our grandchildren feel the impact of our difference. So let's choose wisely, think wisely and do wisely. I love it. Titsi, I have one final question for you before we wrap up. Is family governance important or necessary in a family where to, where, there is no family business as such. I think from what I've learned, family governance is so, so important, even if you do not have a family business. What it just does is it really aligns your family into what you would, a future that you would like to be in and a, a present that you're satisfied in. And what I mean by that is that It's so difficult when we see families breaking apart, families fighting, families feeling like they don't understand each other. Mm. When the truth is we don't take time to talk to each other, to understand each other and realize that we are all different. And I'll give the prime example of, imagine if you were Bill Gates's son or daughter who was born when he was still in that garage and he was still building up Microsoft. And then imagine if you are Bill Gates' son or daughter who was born after Microsoft was a billion dollar company, your experiences of your parents, your experiences of wealth, your experiences of processes are going to be different. Mm -hmm. The only thing that's going to bring you together is sitting in a family meeting and discussing those differences, acknowledging those differences and trying to align in ways that will make you use your weaknesses and counteract them with your strengths and have the same vision so that when you're on that pitch and you're playing that game, you're a united team. That's really powerful. Thank you, Titsi. I so appreciate you being here today. And I, I really hope that you can spread the message um, about family governance, succession planning, uh, African family firms and the importance of communication far and wide, because I think it is actually a cornerstone of the future Africa that we all want to see. Thank you for your courage in all of your ventures and for always bouncing back and bouncing forward. It's been lovely having you. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Cheers. You've been listening to Brand to Build, a podcast brought to you by Brand Builder Africa. We'll be back here next week with more thoughtfully curated content for entrepreneurial leaders who are doing business in Africa. Stay, subscribe, and let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear about next. To learn more, visit our website at www.brandtobuild.co or email ask us at brandtobuild.co.